Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Good job. Okay, let's try one more. He is risen. Good job. That's awesome. Well, hey, man. Uh, Jesus isn't in the grave. He is risen. Jesus isn't dead. He is alive forevermore. And that's what we get to celebrate this morning, joyfully celebrating that Jesus defeated death and sin. And so, uh, man, my name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us today, if you haven't been here before, maybe a couple times, thank you for coming. We're excited to, to, to worship together, and I'm glad you're in the room. I grew up going to church just really on Easter and Christmas because I thought it was the good thing to do. Uh, but it wasn't until I met the hero of Christmas. Christmas and Easter, then my life started to change drastically. And so let me just say this. Uh, Easter isn't about bunnies or, uh, or, or eggs or colorful clothes. Easter is about the Son of God triumphing over death, sin, and Satan so that you and I can have eternal life. Amen. That's what Easter is about, and that's what we're celebrating today. It's the best news in the world. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, as Marissa just read. But uh, before we go there, I just want to ask a question. Uh, how many of you in the room uh, have, uh, have, have searched for something and on your search for it found something so much better? You ever had that happen to you? Uh, well, you might know this by my figure, but I love candy, okay? Like, it's unmistakable. I love candy, okay? So you put candy in front of me, you ain't going to get it back, all right? So you got Kit Kats, keep them in your purse or your pocket or something like that. Uh, I just love candy. I always have. And so putting two and two together, I've always enjoyed Easter, all right, let's just put that simple. And uh, before I was a believer, I mean, I'd wait and anticipate Easter, but it really wasn't for Jesus. It was for Easter egg hunts, okay? You know what I'm talking about, right? You, get, you got the lawn and, and a bunch of people, and you get the group of people. You got the uh, eggs with candy in them, okay? And they're scattered all around, and you grab as many as you can, as fast as you can. So I would love Easter egg hunts. And uh, my parents had me when they were young, which means that I'm the oldest cousin. And so I, I'm like 12 years old, and all my other cousins are like four to seven. They're like, oh, he's probably really sweet. Mm-mm. No, I was pushing them out of the way, okay? And I'm grabbing as many eggs as I can, okay? This year they had Kit Kats, and homeboy needs a break, okay? So I'm like, I need to get in there and eat as many as I can. So I'm rushing around. I'm kind of a, a legend at Easter egg hunts, to be honest. And so um, I'm enjoying them. And um, and I remember one year, uh, I was 10 years old, and uh, my grandma, bless her heart, she thought she did a good job hiding them. And I kind of turned into Sherlock Holmes on these things. And so I'm like setting out, getting, you know, filling my basket, probably setting a world record, I don't know. But as I'm going, I find a golden egg. And I'm like, whoa, this is different than any one I've ever seen. And so I grab the old egg, or the, the gold egg, I put everything else down, I open it up to find a $50 bill. Now, when you're 10 years old, $50 is like winning the lottery. Okay, it's the same thing in college. Uh, and, so, um, and so I'm like, man, 50 bucks. Like, this is incredible. Do you know how many Kit Kats you can buy with 50 bucks? Like, is there even enough Kit Kats in the world? For, I mean, I don't know. And so I'm just freaking out. I'm so excited. And it was so profound to me because I wasn't even looking for it. Like, it was something I couldn't have never guessed. And I share that story because I set out that morning to find candy, right? That was my goal. That was my, that was my uh, aim to do. And I would have been happy with that. But as I searched, I found something so much greater. In the same way in Matthew 28, in our text this morning, we're going to see these two women set out to find a, a, a dead Jesus. Um, and they find something so much greater. They set out and they're in search, but they find something so much more beautiful. They went to find a dead hero, and they got a living Savior, right? They went thinking they're going to get bad news, and they got the best news in the world. They went thinking they'd find a closed tomb, and they found an empty tomb. It's amazing. 
And so, uh, and so with this, man, I, I just think it's important for us to, to, to come to that reality because I don't know why you came this morning, but you could have came for a number of reasons. You might have came this morning to find a good church service, an average sermon, some free coffee and donuts, uh, a good music, and seven steps to a better life. But I pray that you'd find something so much better than that. I pray that you'd meet the living Jesus this morning, that you would uh, see his beauty in his splendor, something so much, bore, so much, so much better than, than just a, a church service or, or just uh, a place to gather, that you would see and meet the living Jesus. That's what Easter's about, the surprise of God shattering our expectations and giving us something so much better than we could have ever expected. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, and uh, we'll just start by reading verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the day uh, of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Okay, so my first point, simply put, is they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. Now let's be clear, the resurrection, as good and as amazing as it is, won't be as sweet to us unless we first understand the cross. Does that make sense? Like, And Jesus' resurrected body is... Profound as it is, it won't be as amazing unless we first see his forsaken body on the cross. And the cross, as amazing as it is, is, won't be as sweet to us unless we first see why he had to die. Does that make sense? As we look through some of these pieces to get a fuller understanding of the resurrection, what does it mean to say he is risen? Well, these two women are going. They come to the tomb expecting to find a dead Jesus, a closed tomb with a dead Jesus in it. And Mary Magdalene is one of the women, and we find Mary in Luke chapter 8 after Jesus casts a demon out of her. So not the greatest first impression, but nonetheless, Jesus meets her and uses her, and she's faithful through his entire life. She's with him through all of his life, his, his trial, his death, and now the tomb. And, and, and it's just amazing to see how God uses this faithful woman that had a crazy start to her life. Um, and she follows him. And by the way, following Jesus during this time wasn't like the popular thing to do. It wasn't cultural to go to Easter morning Sunday. Like, it, like that, nothing like that existed. Jesus was just crucified. And so likely his followers would have a similar penalty. And yet she remained faithful. And our text doesn't necessarily tell us why they came to the tomb. But in Mark 16, it says they came hoping to anoint Jesus's body with, uh, with spices. So they, again, thought he was dead. So that gives us a little bit of background, but, but first I just want to answer the question, did Jesus die? Okay, everyone in the room, we've got to answer the question, did Jesus really die? Because if he didn't die, then he didn't resurrect, right? But if he did die, the resurrection is true and that much more beautiful. Now, the Romans uh, were professionals at death. They were incredible at it. They have got it down to, um, they've just mastered it. And the crucifixion was specifically created to inflict the most pain onto death. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. And, um, and so uh, they would drill nails through your hands and through your feet and pin you to the cross. And once you're pinned to it, they would lift it up for everyone to see. It was a, it was a shaming experience. And I think there's a gap in our understanding of what they're talking about. Because in our culture, the cross is a relatively good symbol, right? Like, oh, you're wearing a cross whether or not you're a Christian. It symbolizes goodness and peace and hospitality and all these things. But in this culture, the cross represented death and punishment and shame and and the worst criminals. And so we just got to bridge some of that gap and see the cross wasn't some glorious thing. It was it was, it was a shaming experience. Can you imagine if you came into church today and you got a necklace on and at the bottom of your necklace, you got a little electric chair? Like, 
People are like, what, what are you, like that's the similar thing of what we do now to what it would be in that culture. So the cross, let's be clear, was a very, very, very shameful experience. And Jesus endured it. Man, they would normally strip you naked, beat you to it within an inch of your life, and then hang you for everyone to see, to mock at. And the pressure from hanging there would make it extremely hard to breathe. And the Bible's explicitly clear that Jesus Christ was crucified. He was spit on, mocked, and rejected for you and I. And then in Matthew 27, verse 50, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He breathed his last breath and he died. The creator of life, the giver of life, gave up his life and died. It's wild, man. That's, so that's what Jesus did in the Roman professionals. man. Like I said, these guys were legitimate at what they did, and so you could never trick them into thinking someone was dead. Listen, Jesus Christ undoubtedly died on the cross. Have to be clear. Yes, he died. And the next question we got to answer is, well, then Why? Why did he die, right? Couldn't God have just kind of like waved his hand over us and just said, you're forgiven, right? Like, why did his son have to die? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, God's people sinned and rebelled. And rather than just wiping them out clean, God in his grace created a sacrificial system. Okay, so what would happen is that you sin and then you get a sacrificial animal and you, you sacrifice that, give that, and your sin would be forgiven, You needed a substitute. You needed blood to be spilled for your sin. But what happened is that they kept sinning, which means they kept sacrificing. So it's a repetitive process of saying, well, you know, I sin, I sacrifice, but then I sin tomorrow, and I got to do it, and it's over and over and over again. And what they really needed was one sacrifice. They would cover all of their sins. That would be what we really need. And friends, in the same way, we can't pay for our sin. We can't sacrifice enough. We can't be good enough. We can't get to a certain point. We need a perfect sacrifice and a perfect savior. But the question is, who? Who would be willing to die for the sins of the people? And then the next question is, who would be able to be a perfect and spotless sacrifice for the sin of the world? Well, in Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12, they say this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Isn't that beautiful? He, he, he solved the problem of the repetitive process. And no, I'm going to die once. Jesus, the perfect son of God, became our sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus took the death and punishment that you and I deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. We traded places. Jesus is perfect, but he takes on our sin, and we are sinful, yet we get Jesus' perfection by faith in him. It's amazing love. Listen, it came at a great price. The cross was an an excruciating experience. And so the cross for us today isn't this cultural symbol of, oh, that's really cool, and I'm glad it's on your jewelry and on your shirt. No, the cross is the symbol of the world that says God gave up everything so that sinners like you and I can have eternal life. That's what the cross is about. That's why Jesus had to die, because there was no other way for us to be saved. Not more works, not getting better, not trying harder, not more church attendance, simply by a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus became that for us in love. Amazing. And let me say this, church, this is exactly what this church is about. 
And this is exactly what Jesus intended his church to be about. Not good people coming together and just celebrating how good they are, but broken people coming together at the foot of Jesus saying, Jesus, you're good. You're amazing, right? So if you're new to this whole church thing, can I loosen you up for a second and just let you know you don't have to act like you've got it all together. Amen. You don't have to act like you. You're perfect and strong because Jesus' grace allows us and frees us to admit we're weak because he's strong, that we failed because he was perfect. So can I just loosen your shoulders up a little bit and say, man, you belong here. You're messy, you're broken, you're in good company. Jesus' grace is amazing, and that's what his gospel provides. Our boast will never be in how good we are, but only in how good Jesus is. So Jesus really died. He did die, and that's why these two women are going to the tomb. And they expected to find a dead hero, but they found something so much better. So let's read verses 2 through 8. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. My second point is they heard he was alive. Point one, thought he was dead. Point two, they heard he was alive. Now, (laughs) have any of you ever seen the show The Price is Right? Seen that show? I'm kind of confessing right now. My wife and I watch it every once in a while, okay? Uh, and, and, and one of my favorite parts of that, of that show is when they announce the person's name and they're like, come on down. And like, it's the cra- They're like, yeah, like screaming, freaking out and like running and hugging everybody and high-fiving everybody. And I'm like, you haven't even won anything yet. Like nothing, sp- I mean, like you just have a chance. You maybe get to guess at some prices, but, but it's this crazy experience and they're so excited to do it. And the people just go nuts. Like I'm pretty convinced they have like free energy drinks beforehand or something. I don't know how people get like that, but it's pretty wild. And the shock on people's faces is incredible, right? To see their shock. And I like to picture in this story, the angel saying, come on down. And like Mary and Mary being like, yay. And like hugging each other and running and like checking the tomb is empty. Like, that's crazy. You know, like, so I don't know if that's okay to put that picture on this text, but I have. And uh, that's what I picture. Just this crazy shock and excitement. Like, what do you mean? He's gone. And, um, and so, um, Mimba, think about it. How crazy would that be? These women saw Jesus breathe his last breath, right? These women saw uh, the the soldier pierce his side and blood and water fall to the ground. These women saw the soldiers take off his, his, his lifeless body from the cross and pronounce him dead. How could this be that the tomb would be empty? And if you look at the end of uh, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 27, you, you see that the religious leaders remember that Jesus said he was going to raise. Okay? And they're like, uh-oh, we need to do something about this. I doubt it's true, but we need to do something. Um, and so in Matthew 27, verses 65 and 66, uh, say this. You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. 
These religious leaders remember that Jesus said that, and just as an insurance policy, they're like, hey, we know this guy's a fake, right? But maybe let's just, you know, have a guards there just in case someone tries to steal or something crazy happens. I don't know. Let's get our best guards on that, and they go watch it. And so they do, and Pilate says, yeah, you can go do that. So they send their best soldiers on the job, and again, listen, Jesus is a big deal in this culture. They don't want any other like, stuff coming from this, so they, prop, they don't put their JV soldiers. They're putting, like, legitimate dudes on the job, and they're, it's a guard. They're all watching the tomb. They've sealed it, and in verse 4, I mean, during their shift, an earthquake comes, and in verse 4, it says, for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like a dead man. You know what I picture here? Again, I don't know if this is okay. You ever seen videos of fainting goats? <laughs> like, you like clap, make not, and, like, and they just like fall over. It's absolutely incredible. And I just picture, if you, go watch it at dinner tonight, at Easter, okay? Um, it's spiritual. And so they're, uh, they're doing that. Hey, I don't know, it could be. But, uh, but that's what I picture, man. Like, this is crazy thing, like, happening, right? They're, they're, they're prepared, and yet this thing comes, and they faint. They fall. They freeze. They fall over because they're so shocked at how magnificent this experience is. These men, these trained soldiers, these macho men fall like dead men because they were prepared for anything the world could throw at them. But this power, it wasn't from the world. They weren't expecting it. They weren't ready for it. And the angel moves the stone away, right? He moves it away, and he just sits on it in this place of confidence and, and victory. And let's be clear, the, the, the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could come out. He'd already been risen. The stone was rolled away so that people could look in for themselves and see that the tomb is empty. That's the reason the tomb, the stone was rolled away. And in verse 6, the angel says, he is not here. He's risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. The angel's like, he ain't here. He gone. I don't know. He ain't here. You know, it's like the best news ever. Uh, I can just picture it. But, uh, but, but notice the angel says, um, as he said, he is risen as he said. City Light, we have to see this wasn't some random whim or this, or this last shot that, that God made together to save the day. Jesus had predicted several times that he was going to die and that he was going to resurrect, right? So you get Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 17, 9, Matthew 20, 19, Matthew 26, 32. Those are just the times in Matthew and all the other gospels point to the same thing. Jesus predicted, I will die. He's telling his friends, hey, just so you guys know and aren't freaked out, I'm going to die, but don't worry, man, I'm going to raise in three days. And they forget it. Like, it just, like, went over them. I don't know why. But, man, Easter is proof that God makes good on his promises, Amen. Easter's proof that, that, that God is, is, is secure and good. He makes good on his word. He takes hopeless situations and gives hope. He takes dark situations and gives light. He gives death and makes life. It's absolutely incredible. And in verse 7, it says that he is risen from the dead. Jesus didn't just wake up. He wasn't miraculously healed. He was dead, and now he is risen and resurrected. And notice in, in our passage, too, that come and see is followed by go and tell, right? Come and see and then go and tell. And friends, we, we can't keep the resurrection news to ourselves. If, I, you better believe if one of you guys are in prices right, like you're telling everybody, right? Like you just know it, right? My cousin, he won 20 bucks on a pickle card. I heard that story for the last three years. I don't care about 20 bucks from a pickle card, but we are naturally so prone to tell good news and tell exciting things and announce things. That's just who we are. And every single person you walk past every single day is hungry for hope. 
They're hungry for good news. And if you're here this morning, you've heard the good news that God the creator would, would humble himself, come down to earth, die a sinner's death so that you and I could have eternal life. There's no greater news. There's no greater story to announce. So get excited. Tell everyone you know. Go kind of crazy like the Price is Right people. I don't know. Have some energy drinks before you go to work. But just do something. Tell people about this news. Friends, we come and see that Jesus is risen. He is. And then we go and tell the world of all that he has done. But these women, they run. They leave in faith. They saw the empty tomb, but they hadn't seen the risen king yet. Which brings us to verses 9 through 15. So let's read together. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. While they were uh, going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and uh, did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. My third point is they met the living Savior. Number one, they thought he was dead. Number two, they heard he was alive. And number, point number three, they met the living Savior. Now, can we just stop really quick and acknowledge Jesus' first words after he resurrected? Okay, this dude just died and paid the sins of the world, went like, was beaten and crucified and mocked, and goes down, resurrects, leaves the tomb, and, the, and as, Mary, as the Marys are going to see the other disciples, Jesus meets them on their way, and he's like, greetings. Greetings? Nothing more profound than that. Jesus, like, like, like this is, I mean, let me be clear. God has a sense of humor, okay? And, and, and these women are freaking out. They're like, what? What's happening? Like, Jesus is raised, and his first words to them are, sup? You know, like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Like, he is so amazing. There's no one else like him. Oh, and by the way, these women were the most unlikely people and unpredictable people to be the first witnesses of his resurrection, do you remember the first people that heard of Jesus' birth? Lowly shepherds. Shepherds. Not the CEO, not the person all put together, not the, not the best and the brightest, not the religious leaders. Lowly, simple shepherds were the first to hear about Jesus' birth. And the first people to hear about his resurrection and meet him are unexpected women. And friends, in this culture, women weren't highly esteemed. Their, their, their word wouldn't hold up in court. They weren't, they weren't the people that you would naturally go to for power or prestige or a story. And yet Jesus meets these faithful women that were with him to the end of the cross and the beginning of the tomb, and he meets them and he reveals himself to them. It's, in, it's extraordinary and beautiful. And, and, and let me say this. If this story were false, he would not have revealed himself to women. He would have revealed himself to the governor or the high priest. Why couldn't he do that, by the way? Like, why wouldn't he have just made it a little bit easier to go to someone in power and instead he goes to culturally maybe one of the lowest um, groups of people? Uh, A woman that didn't have a real affiliation. I don't know if they're married. And he goes in and he meets them first. Their cultural, the women's cultural incredibility was actually their credibility. This story isn't made up. If it was, he'd be going to a guy first. Women is completely wild to think about. And so they meet the living Savior. 
And notice that their first reaction is to fall on the ground, grab his feet, and worship him. I mean, this shows us that he has a real resurrected body. This wasn't a hallucination or a dream or an apparition. He has a real body, and they grabbed a hold of his feet. And City Light, if there was ever a clear picture of what true worship looks like, look no further. Abandon, surrendered at the feet of Jesus in gratitude, saying, man, I'm amazed at what you've done for me. Listen, to be a Christian doesn't mean we stand tall and proud of what we've done. It means that we fall humbly at the feet of Jesus saying, oh, you are amazing and did what I could never do for myself. To be a Christian doesn't simply mean agreeing with Jesus. It means loving him, adoring him, seeing him as the ultimate value more than anything else. To be a Christian means to to give up the power and control of your life and give him the reins. These women found their greatest treasure and their response was to fall at his feet and grab hold of the thing they've hoped for. There's, there's something beautiful about finally grabbing hold of the thing we've hoped for, right? Finally seeing the thing that we've prayed about and hoped about and looked forward to. I remember my wife and I, when we found out that she was pregnant, we were ecstatic. I mean, we couldn't have been happier. And then when we found out it was a girl, I was even more excited. But nothing will ever compare to the moment I first held my daughter. To the moment I, I looked at her and got to hold on to the thing, the, the person I've prayed for and thought about and and longed for. I mean, it was amazing. I can't even think of words to describe that feeling or that day. And how much greater did these women experience the joy of grabbing onto the one they hoped in? They sold out. They gave everything for him. They, they fully surrendered. They're, they're the people when everyone else is gone, they're coming forward and they see that Jesus made good on his promise and he's worthy of their devotion. Amen? He, he's, he, he's, he's good for their hope and they got to finally grab on to the thing they've hoped for. It's incredible, friends. There's something beautiful about grabbing on to the thing we've hoped for. Now, Jesus' words in verse 10, his response to them is, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they'll see me there. So he just calms them down and says, hey, you don't have to be afraid of anything. But then he instructs them and says, hey, go, go tell my brothers that, that I'm here, and I want to spend time with them. Now, when he says brothers, he, he wasn't primarily talking about his blood brothers. He would have most likely been talking about his followers and his disciples, right? So he says, hey, go, go tell them, go tell those people that I'm back and I can't wait to hang out with them. Uh, J- Jesus, you, you mean the people that like abandon you and are afraid and hiding right now? You want me to tell those people? You, I mean, the people that said they'd never leave you, and then when the pressure came, they're gone, and they've said they never knew you. You want me to go tell those weak, faithless, scared people that you're here, and do you want to spend time with them? And his response in the text clearly, yeah, that's exactly who Jesus wants to hang out with. This is the gospel, friends. It's good news to us that Jesus loves the very people that abandoned and rejected him. That's the essence of the gospel and his good news. That's why he came, to love the people that were unlovable, to love the people and accept the people that rejected him. That's the gospel. So we see in verses 11 through 15 that while the believers were were humbly worshiping Jesus, the non-believers were plotting to try and destroy the evidence of the resurrection, right? So by this time, some of the soldiers had realized that that they were in a desperate situation. Uh, The Roman seal had been broken, the stone uh, was rolled away, and uh-oh, there's not a body in there anymore. So stuff's about to hit the fan. Okay, we got to be mindful of this. And, and, and for a Roman soldier to fail in his duty was punishable by death. 
But these men are smart. They don't go to their superior officers. They don't go to Pilate. They go to the religious leaders because the religious leaders are just as anxious to cover up this miracle as they are. And so they get together. They plot and plan. They say, hey, you know what? Here's our master plan. Let's say the disciples came by night and stole Jesus's body. Okay, well, let's track with that story. So they make up this story. The soldiers are asleep. During their sleep, the disciples come, move the gigantic stone away, uh, grab Jesus' body, and leave without anyone seeing him. Sounds super plausible, right? No. But even if, let's say even if, for some reason, all of the guards at the same time were in a heavy, deep sleep hibernation, and then the disciples, which were mostly uneducated fishermen, had some supernatural strength to move the stone and not make much noise while they did it, and then take Jesus' body away without anyone else seeing him, even if all that were true, do you really think that these men, the disciples, would have died for a lie? Do you really think they would have given up their lives for something that they made up? Man, the uh, church history shows us all over that every single one of the disciples was either killed or heavily persecuted for their belief in Jesus. These men, by the way, like I said, were scared and hiding on Friday and Saturday. They were done. They thought, Jesus has died. I'm done. My hope is, I didn't really realize this, and I'm I'm selling off to something different. They were gone, these scared men. And, And a couple days later, they're joyfully proclaiming to everyone they know, Jesus is risen. Something had to happen. Something had to change. It wasn't just a lie. Something in them changed. I mean, if they didn't see the real risen body, then they wouldn't have the power or the strength or the resiliency to, to, to go forward. If this was a manufactured tale, they would have never died for it. You don't die for a lie. You don't die for something you haven't seen. You die for something you believe in. And these men had a crazy experience. The, the disciples' change of heart was an amazing proof to the reality of the resurrection. And by examining this story, we see that it actually proves the resurrection of Jesus so clearly. So if the body was stolen, track with me, it was either stolen by his friends, the disciples, or his enemies, okay? Now, his disciples, like we said, these guys are gone. They're weak. They're hiding. They're afraid. They don't have the audacity. And even if they mustered up strength somehow, do you really think somehow that the soldiers wouldn't have stopped them? Okay, so those, the disciples are out of the picture. They couldn't have stolen his body. They're afraid and gone and not even able. Okay, what about his enemies? His enemies must have stolen the, stolen the body. They could get enough forces up and steal it. But his enemies were the people that were saying, we don't want people to believe in him, right? We don't want people to follow him, but they would defeat their purpose if they take him from the grave because people are starting to say, he's risen. Oh, he's risen indeed. He's good. And, they, and if that was true, if they took him and people said that, all they would have to do to silence the people was to show the body, right? No, he's not risen. We took him. Like, here he is. They, and they didn't have to confess. They could just put him out in the middle of nowhere. So, man, it's, no, it couldn't happen. He could, the only logical explanation is that he, the Son of God, was risen from the grave and resurrected. City Light, any person who studies this evidence with an open heart will undoubtedly come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ indeed was resurrected and is the Son of God. There's enough evidence here that demands a verdict. And so can I ask, friends, where do you stand? What do you believe? You can't have this middle ground on this. If you've sat in there, choose and decide whether you think it's false or you think it's true with an open heart, I challenge you to do that this morning. But I want to just answer the question, why does the resurrection even matter? 
right? Or does it matter? Does it matter to the Christian faith whether or not Jesus resurrected? Well, without the reversal of shame on the cross, Jesus' death would have atoned for nothing. His resurrection is God's approval of Jesus while he reestablishes him as Lord over everything. Put it this way. The cross was the check that Jesus wrote to pay for your sin. And the resurrection was the Father's approval that the payment has been accepted. That's what the cross and the resurrection are. The cross is the check. The resurrection is the approval that was paid in full. It's the most spectacular of all the biblical miracles and the wildest of Christianity's claims, by the way. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christians of all people are to be most pitied. If it's false, we're wasting our time. You should have slept in and gone somewhere else. If it's false, then billions of people throughout history have died in vain and confusion. If it's false, the world would look completely different. But since it's true, it's the hope that death isn't the end. Since it's true, we don't have to fret and worry about death. We can proclaim that is the same way that Jesus rose from the grave, that by faith in him, we too can escape eternal death and get eternal life. Since it's true, we know that Jesus wasn't just a nice guy and a good teacher. He is the son of God that came and paid the penalty for our sin. Since it's true, it doesn't just demand one day a year. It demands every day. It's beautiful and true every day of the year. Since it's true, it demands a radical life change to preach the gospel unashamedly to all people. It's the truth that's truer than any other truth. It's the news that's better than any other news. The entire structure of the Christian faith rests on the resurrection. Listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we have no hope. We have no hope at all. That's how important it is. And so for the person in the room that hasn't trusted Jesus yet, that hasn't believed in the resurrection of Jesus, would you come and see that the tomb is empty? Would you come and meet the living Savior, Jesus Christ, in all his goodness and all his fullness? Would you come and see him? And nothing's holding you back, by the way. You don't have to get better, try harder, fix yourself up, wait till next week, today. You can make that decision. And if you do, all you'd have to do is confess, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need your grace. And believe in your heart that Jesus paid the full price for you on the cross and resurrected to prove that it was paid. And so if you make that decision today, can I, can I challenge you? Tell somebody. Profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Tell me or Mo or someone in the room that Jesus is good and what he's done for you, that he's taken you from death and brought life. He's taken you from darkness and gave light. He's taken you from hopelessness and given hope. Would you tell somebody? Man, would you have the courage and the boldness to make that decision today? As the evidence stares you in the face, would you have the courage and the humility to say, yeah, I believe, or no, I don't, but make that decision. And for the person in the room that has placed your faith in Jesus, Thanks for being here. Man, I hope this Easter is beautiful. I hope this this talk is not just another talk and you know the story and it becomes old or mundane to you, but that it becomes more and more beautiful to you the more you see it, the more you look at it, and God would open up your eyes to see it more clearly. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, can I just ask you, man, are you going and telling? Are you keeping the news to yourself? Are you hiding it or are you letting everybody you know? Do you think about it? Does it bleed through in your conversation Uh, And Jesus is incredible. And so I just want to challenge you, man. Would you rest at his feet this week, today, for the rest of your life? Would you rest at his feet? 
Worship him humbly. Seeing him as more and more and more beautiful and powerful and holy. And enjoy all that he is as you worship him. Friends, Jesus is far better than a dead hero. He's a living savior. Amen? Let's pray.